Pikachu. Pikachu ka Pikachu. Pikachu ka Pikachu. Pikachu, Pikachu, Pikachu ka Pikachu. Pikachu. Hello, all out there, and welcome to Pikapi Podcast. If it's your first time, you have just stumbled on a Pokemon anime podcast. Lucky you. Going through to recap and chronicle and get way too nerdy in depth about each episode. And today begins our trip through the Hoenn region. My, my, a brand new generation. This is so exciting. The Advanced Generation series runs through Hoenn and officially through the Kanto Grand Festival arc and is the last series to be dubbed by four kids. However you feel about that, facts is facts. Um, and it's also the only series where Ash doesn't have a recurring rival. There's no Gary, no Paul, no Trip. So already they're switching up the formula a bit, and we'll see how they're able to keep the tension going and Ash's general motivation to succeed throughout the series. When we last saw Ash, we were on a bit of a cliffhanger, so it'll be good to get back to him. He's been waiting patiently with a sick Pikachu. Um, but first, I would be remiss not to let you know what our sponsor PokePress has been up to, uh, which is a lot. For starters, who remembers what cassette tapes are? Once upon a time, in the days before CDs, they were very important for listening to music. And Steven managed to get his hands on a Tubia Master promo tape off of eBay. Um, this is a cool piece of Pokemon history, and you can watch his unboxing video to get a glimpse of it and... and Get a bit of a sense of what promo tapes would have been used for and who they'd be sent to and what qualities they would need that to makes them different from the commercial cassette version of To Be A Master. Um, in the past few weeks, he's also had some interviews up, like the one I mentioned previously with Eric Summerer, um, some reporting from European nationals, and most recently, his channel now carries our discussion of Movie 3 ending songs. Um, while our discussion of Movie 4 ending songs is still exclusively on my Patreon feed. You can find Steven on YouTube at PokePress or at pokepress.blogspot.com and the Patreon-exclusive episode at patreon.com slash professionaldork. Of course, I'll have physical links to all that in the blog notes, uh, which I'll give you at the end of the episode. And this episode... um Number one of Advanced Generation, number 285 overall, actually starts not with Ash, but with May, which is a trend that will continue through some other regions, uh, starting out with the Traveling Companion's point of view. But remember, when this aired, everything was new, so this scene was just like, what's going on? Who is this? I don't understand. But I love May. We'll talk about her various character traits as time goes on, but I think she's so interesting, and I love her design. I know not everybody loves May as much as I do, and to that half of you, well, <laughs> I can't make her leave, so we're stuck with her. She does suffer from some writing problems, similar to how Misty did, 
Um, but May's foundation is so solid. Um, the problem with her is not a lack of initial development or being afraid to go places with her and have character moments, which I think gives her an advantage over poor Misty. Misty got hardly anything ever, and, you know, some character development tacked on at the end. May started out with so much, and she kind of, they seem to lack the follow-through on some of her plot points. But again, we'll talk more about that as the, you know, the story unfolds. But it is wonderful that, you know, despite not being a gym leader or a character that would have been developed extensively for the games, like we know more about those gym leaders than we do about some of our main characters, um, despite not having any of that, May comes in through episode one as a fully fleshed out and three-dimensional character with personality traits and conflict. It, like, it's wonderful. It's great to see, again, after some of the missteps they took with Misty. And I love her outfit. It's so cute. And she is, like, the only girl traveling companion who actually looks like she thought about her outfit before she left the house. I mean, I love all the designs. I really do. But Dawn, Serena, you two are not dressed to go hiking in the mountains and down dusty roads for hours. Dawn, you put that skirt on a bike. What were you thinking? Misty gets away with her outfit because it's an extremely tamed down callback to her game design, which was a swimsuit, a bikini. And I kind of get the idea that she'd rather strip off everything and go swimming at any given moment. But but again, when you think about it, you're 10 years old, Misty. And a redhead. I hope you brought sunscreen. I mean, clothes in the Pokemon world, like I shouldn't nitpick. They're all either little fashionistas or sleeping in their ratty jeans for weeks on end. Like there is no middle ground. Look at the gym leaders. These are their role models. But still, I love that May left home to go biking from town to town. And what is she wearing? Bike shorts. Bike shorts and a fanny pack. She is dressed for exactly what she set out to do. She loses points for not wearing a helmet. But yeah, I believe this girl was planning to do something borderline athletic in the immediate future. Anyway, the episode begins with May introducing herself. And maybe you caught this from the beginning, maybe you didn't. It's certainly easier to catch in these first few episodes. But Veronica Taylor is playing May, the same person who's been playing Ash and will continue to do so all the way up through movie eight. And I would pay good money to be able to hear about that audition process. Like, was the role offered to her or was she, you know, offered to be in the audition pool? Or did she like just show up at an open casting call and it was like, um, hi, Veronica, you know, we already hired you, right? Like, did the producers know she had this in her bag of tricks or was this something she had to prove? Like, no, I can also do a young girl voice and have it sound different from Ash, even if they have dialogue together, even if they both have to emote. Eric does the same thing with James and Brock. Like, trust me, I can do this. Like, who knows? But, you know, no matter how smoothly it went off, it feels like there should have been at least one moment where somebody went, hey, is this going to work? We're not talking to radically different vocal qualities who maybe share one scene per episode. We're talking the two main characters who are both young kids who talk to each other all the time. But however it happened, it did happen. And now the show has about six or seven heavy speaking roles per episode and like three or four actors. Like, there's just a whole bunch of people talking to themselves. It's kind of great. 
I am, of course, speaking of the English side, the Japanese side. They're still all doing their own individual role. Um, but for the English side, I feel this is about the time where the characters really settled. Not May and Max, obviously, like they just showed up. But Ash and Brock, Jesse James Meowth, like, and as Hoenn goes along, May and Max do become part of this. Like, this is where the English dub hits its stride. I feel like the script with translation and the line production and the overall feel of the show, it's got the best acting. It really breaks my heart that after Hoenn, basically all that resets for half of Battle Frontier and Diamond and Pearl. And, you know, the new team comes in and has to learn from scratch. And they eventually get a groove of their own. But I think that's part of why there was so much fan outrage is is because Ash sounds fantastic in this Hoenn early Battle Frontier period. The relationships are so solid. The vocal performance from everybody is amazing. The English half of the show in this period just knew who it was and what worked and resonated and what it stood for. Like, to put a stop to that for any reason is just a kick in the gut. No matter how good what came next was, it's hard to let go of something that you watched from day one and then saw it just blossom into something amazing. But for now, we can relive this and enjoy the ride. Um, May is biking over to Little Root Town, where the professor, Professor Birch, will give May her first Pokemon so she can start her Pokemon journey. But we learn that for May, getting a Pokemon is just an excuse. It's her passport to the rest of the world. If she could, she'd go traveling around the world with no Pokemon. That's the part of this that really appeals to her. She doesn't actually like Pokemon that much. And that is a strong character choice. Our protagonist that we're presumably going to follow on their Pokemon journey in the show called Pokemon doesn't like Pokemon. Congratulations, this episode has been going for less than five seconds and already you've established conflict. Way to go. Um, but our next scene also has a point of conflict. Remember last time we saw Ash and Pikachu? They fought Team Rocket. There was an electromagnet and it made Pikachu sick. Uh, well, poor Pikachu's still really sick. Ash has got him wrapped up in his arms and promises that as soon as the ship docks, they're going to the Pokemon Center. And you would hope that there would have been some medical facility on the boat just in case some people or Pokemon were hurt at sea. I know it's a kind of a smaller fairy, really, and in the anime there are some injuries that can't be healed by Super Potion, so maybe there's not much you can do. But it would have been helpful. It would have been so helpful. Because I sympathize with Pikachu. I've, I've been through a similar situation. I used to live in Newfoundland, and there was one time my family and I were going on a boat to Halifax, or, or back from Halifax, I don't remember which, which is hardly important. What is important is that I managed to break my collarbone on that trip, because I climbed up a kitty playset and jumped onto a huge cushion like all the other kitties, except I missed the cushion and basically swan-dived into the floor. And my parents found out real quick that out on a boat in open water is a terrible place for your kid to break a bone. <laughs> There's not much you can do until you hit land. And Pikachu's in the same position. Like, Ash would do anything to save him from his pain, but they are stuck until the boat touches the shore. Which gives Team Rocket a chance to reflect and, in Jesse's case, have an existential crisis. Like, what are we doing with our lives? What does it all mean? Is this all there is? 
and maybe Jesse has some sort of connection to Little Root Town, or at least the poetic impact of its never-changing landscape has great meaning for her. <laughs> anyway, upon making port, Ash starts asking after a Pokemon Center, and turns out there isn't one in Little Root Town, uh, but they do have a regional professor, and professors generally have the necessary equipment to care for Pokemon in their labs, um, or at least they have the contacts to get help flown in. Um, so Ash finds a payphone and gets a hold of Professor Birch, or tries to. The man is out of the lab, so this is not Pikachu's day. But the lab assistant promises to get a hold of Birch and send him right out, so all Ash can do is wait. And I love Ash in this moment, this whole episode, really, because he just came off the last season, you know, gaining the confidence that, yes, I can handle my life without Brock and Misty. I can take charge, step up and be the role model or the hero, take care of myself and the people around me. And then life went, oh, yeah, challenge accepted. And it took Ash to a place where he is helpless and put him right back in his episode two low point. And that's so cool. And how Ash handles this, how he deals with the pressure, how he keeps a cool head and manages to keep on being that pillar when there's little to nothing he can do. You know, but Pikachu needs him, so no slacking off, no flipping out. That's great. And really, Ash needs to keep it together because Pikachu can't. Literally. Professor Birch shows up with screeching tires in his Jeep, and he rushed to the scene, took one look at Pikachu, and said, Yeah, you guys are in trouble. During the car ride back to the lab, he tells Ash that Pikachu can't release his electricity normally, so now he's randomly sparking. The pressure builds up until it just has to come out. And as the excess electricity keeps building up, the symptoms will get worse. Pikachu's kind of dangerous to be next to right now, but he can't control it at all. And meanwhile, the fever's going up. So naturally, Ash is a bit worried. Uh, being strapped to that electromagnet is probably what did it, and it's causing complications. In addition to the sparking and the high fever, Pikachu's starting to get delirious and confused. He doesn't realize that Ash is getting him help. So he's trying to escape from the people who are going to get him better. Um, but they do make it to the lab because speed limits, Professor Birch don't need none of those. Lab assistant Joshua is ready and waiting, and they hook Pikachu up to a machine that will absorb the excess electricity, relieving the pressure from Pikachu. The problem is, Pikachu's got so much electricity built up, the machine can't cut it. It actually gets overloaded. Um, and this is surprising at first, but not so much when you take a second think about it, because Pikachu's real skill in this series is not how big its attacks are, um, though as Meowth pointed out, they are a slight bit above normal Pikachu stats, and the longer the series goes, the crazier they get, but they're really not that special. His real skill is how Pikachu can channel power. Pikachu can absorb loads of electric energy and channel it into disastrous attacks. And that happens a lot. Pikachu takes an attack from an electric legendary, absorbs electric discharge from machines, and suddenly it's super powerful. The Meloetta special, like Sweet Arceus, that was an insane attack, and, and it's been happening as early as episode two, where Ash and the bike and all the Pikachu generated a lot of electricity and it funneled through Pikachu. 
And I think if you look closely at episode one, you know, it looks to me like a thunderbolt came down from the sky before Pikachu actually started his attack. Like, that might be why it was so big and enormous as to fry a flock of birds and light up Kanto. And the downside to this is that when Pikachu can't release all that um, excess power that it absorbs, you know, when it just stays inside of him, he either gets sick or goes mental, sometimes both. So that right now, Pikachu has built up so much power that the usual machines aren't enough to treat it. You know, that it takes the researchers completely by surprise because it's a Pikachu we're dealing with, not a darn Raikou. That actually seems to fit right in with the parameters this show has been establishing for Pikachu. Also, yeah, been in the new region less than 24 hours and already Pikachu's blown up a building. Uh, Pikachu, he's feverish, delirious. He just runs out the open window and, of course, Ash chases after him. Um, but as he tells the professor, he doesn't have any other Pokemon with him right now. So if he has to, say, subdue Pikachu, defend himself, fight for his life, he's out of luck. Professor Birch decides to grab the Pokeballs that were out on the desk then. The starter Pokemon? Uh, and then he too jumps out the window. Who needs doors? Those Pokeballs had been set aside for May. Uh, we met her earlier. But there's kind of an emergency going on, so Birch tells Joshua to tell May to wait until he gets back. Which goes terribly. She's like, he wants me to wait? Okay, I'll go find him. <laughs> and then in the midst of all this chaos is Team Rocket. They caused this situation, maybe they can take advantage of it. If Jessie ever gets her mojo back. Um, but Professor Birch catches up with Ash and delivers the next twist, like, oh, by the way, your Pokemon might explode. Yes, as the pressure builds up in Pikachu, it gets dangerous. Any disturbance to that electrical field, Pikachu might just combust. I love the shot of Ash's reaction, just... Huh? What? <laughs> so Ash needs to find Pikachu. But he also should be really, really careful about getting close to him. Um, They split up to search, and Professor Birch has bad luck with this. He ends up ticking off some Poochiana and can't negotiate out of it. Um, but as he gets into that mess, he ends up in a tree with his satchel on the embankment, uh, so close and yet so far, and, you know, who should come to his rescue but May? I love how unmotivated and lackadastical she is, like, the professor's been chased up a tree by a growling Pokemon, and she's just like, whatever, this bag here, grab a Pokeball, fine, like, <laughs> no urgency whatsoever. She's a little anxious when she actually has to use the Pokeball, and then it's right back to, okay, now what? Call an attack? What attack? Okay, use Water Gun. That's supposed to happen. Like, <laughs> Is there some sort of veto power for refusing to let a kid go on a Pokemon journey? Because I think Bert should pull that out after seeing this display from May. <laughs> Luckily, Mudkip listens to Professor Birch and can save the situation eventually. Uh, once that's done, Birch can get back to business. He's kind of funny. He's got this, like, intense focus on things, but he's also easily distracted. Like, he's really driven, but he can't multitask. Harrison did say he was the type of guy to, like, get lost in his work out in the wilds for weeks, caught up in some discovery. Anyway, Birch and May are back on track, and Ash has found Pikachu. Pikachu, at this point, cannot even see straight. He's so sick. Ash's voice is coming in like just a slurred, garbled mess. 
He must be terrified. Terrified enough to let loose some of that pent-up electricity and attack the perceived threat. In his usual fashion, just blow up the vicinity and I'll probably hit whatever was attacking me. <laughs> you can see this charge from like a mile away. I'm pretty sure Birch and May can hear Ash's screams. And this is a moment where the series takes a bit of a turn concerning Pikachu's skill and power. And I have the argument all the time with other people, particularly those who are only casual watchers of the show, that, you know, just power isn't what makes a Pokemon a winner. Like, you know, the levels we're used to in the games, they don't really mean anything. The anime operates much more like real sports, where, you know, you can throw the fastest baseball, but it doesn't mean zip if you can't aim it over the plate. Or you can turn a quad in figure skating, but if you have sucky edge control in your moves in the field, the one with the triple and the excellent component score is going to take your podium. So it is with Pikachu. His thunderbolts can go as high as they want. If his other elements aren't there, or if he's not focused on them in the battle, he can get taken down so easily, even by a starter Pokemon. In the same way you'd like to think that Michael Jordan could never get beat by a junior high school basketball player, but if he's sick, or he's got an injured ankle, or he's not, you know, taking the kids seriously and decides not to have his guard up, yeah, a good free throw shot could get past him. Because in the real world, we're not bound by levels and stats and mathematical algorithms. And this show goes out of its way a lot to kind of establish that with each of the Pokemon. So as the episodes go on and the Pokemon get stronger, you know, we still have interesting gym battles and we still have conflict. Because it would be boring if it was a case of, okay, Bayleaf's at level 30 and Whitney's at level 25 with all of her Pokemon, like, so this is a shoe-in. Much more interesting is a situation like Bayleaf has been training some really strong special attacks, but she's not experienced in a competitive situation, whereas Whitney's Milk Tank has figured out how to use its rollout attack to basically defeat anything and everything, regardless of what other stats are you know, in play. That's the way the show operates. That's one of the things I appreciate about it that's different from the games. But today, in this episode, the show took a moment out of its busy schedule to remind us that outside of battle, Pikachu does have devastating power. And in this episode, we get a clear view of just that power, not in a battle context or adapted to a specific situation, just Pikachu letting loose, just the electricity. And having this lovely little moment, uh, as the audience, we can see that Pikachu has taken a step up. Pikachu did not just hurt Ash with his thunderbolt. He didn't just burn stuff. He forced Ash to lose consciousness. We've seen Pikachu grow stronger and more capable in battle over the last region, but we did not realize until today that Pikachu is now capable of putting his trainer in a coma. Like, I once wrote this fanfic where this episode caused Ash to have a degenerative and chronic brain condition, like it was super melodramatic, but I hold to that point still. Ash should probably be dead. The fact that he made it through this without lasting injury is a sign that Ho-Oh is looking out for him. However, I do think the gravity of the situation has sunk in for Ash. I think he realizes that in order to help his best friend, he's putting his own life on the line. 
They might both be dead by the end of this episode. But that's what makes him Ash. He will help Pikachu no matter what the personal risk. Something further demonstrated when Pikachu makes a delirious run towards the cliff edge and Ash jumps right off to catch him, no hesitation. And this is how Ash ended up hanging from a tree branch high off a cliff, a sparking time bomb in his arms. Be a Pokemon trainer, they said. It'll be fun, they said. Professor Birch and May are nearby. They throw down a rope. Um, but then Pikachu starts biting Ash. It's like, yes, please make this as hard as possible. I'll just cling one-handed to this rope while you shoot out electricity and gnaw my arm off. It's fine. Uh, but luckily, during all this, uh, Ash's whimpers of pain make it through to Pikachu. He recognizes his trainer's voice, and it causes him to stop. Pikapi? And Ash nods. Just all love and reassurance. Never mind all the crap he's been through today. The danger they're both still in. He's like, yeah. It's me. I got ya. It's gonna be fine. And Pikachu calms down. He realizes that his trainer is the one holding him, and that he, uh, maybe has just bit the kid. And also they're hanging off the edge of a cliff, and when did that happen? And it's probably his fault they're there. But they make it to the top, and Ash is pretty wiped out, pretty relieved to be back on solid ground. But I love the switch. The second Pikachu starts acting guilty and regretful, Ash is like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I know you didn't mean it. How about we go back to the lab and get you fixed up? Everything's fine. This is Ash in hero mode. Trainer mode. With some of his Pokemon, it's basically parent mode. His best self, but also doing what Brock would do. Taking with him the best qualities he learned from Misty. This is Ash with the weight of the world on his shoulders. Like, life said you think you can handle a Pokemon journey on your own. You think you can navigate whatever issues arise without a gym leader there to hold your hand, without even bringing other Pokemon to bail you out when things get rough. Well, let's test that. And Ash went, no problem. Is he scared? Yes, a few scenes ago he was beside himself. Is he hurt? Oh my, yes. But if someone in the scene needs him to be strong, instantly drops all of it. And the first time I saw this episode, I about lost my mind. Because whatever the show says about Ash's age, he has matured. And it was like, okay, buckle up. Because this Ash isn't the scrappy underdog anymore. He's not the scared and insecure little boy we saw persevering through odds that were beyond him. This Ash has discovered a different kind of confidence and bravery. He's capable. He's running the show. And we're going to get very familiar with this new side of Ash over the season. Well, before we can help Pikachu, Team Rocket shows up. Jessie's not really giving it her best effort, but they're going to try anyway. They've got a huge robot and everything. And we learn that Team Rocket, the organization, doesn't really have a presence in Hoenn. Ash has to explain who these people are, and Birch and May are like, I've never heard of them. Which is a bit of a difference from Kanto, and even Johto, where people may not know Jesse, James, and Meowth in specific, but the organization as a whole is pretty high in the public consciousness. Certainly, every Officer Jenny knows that name, and most people hear Ash scream, like, Team Rocket, and they're instantly on alert. Even if they're not really sure what the whole threat is, that word means something to them. 
here, like, I don't think May is even batting an eyelid. Professor Birch is probably just worried about getting stepped on by the mech. Like, they're not having a reaction like, holy Absol, the Mafia just showed up to take our Pokemon. Then again, it is hard to take Team Rocket seriously when Jesse's about as enthusiastic about this capture as May is about Pokemon. But Meowth has put some work into this. Today's robot will absorb Pikachu's electricity, so it can't just barbecue them and send them blasting off. Which is the great irony. Pikachu can't hurt the bad guys, but he's probably given his trainer Parkinson's in the last scene. So Team Rocket's got some pretty good gear, and Ash is reluctant to go on the offensive in the first place because he's worried Pikachu might explode. <laughs> so it gives Team Rocket the opening they need to snatch Pikachu with the claw and hook it up to the little absorption cups. Um, and they just start draining its electricity. Which would be horrible, except this was kind of the goal all along. If Pikachu were having a normal day, this would be a problem, but since he's sick and just radiating the electrical charge of a power plant, Team Rocket may have just saved his life. They absorb electricity until it's overfilling the machine's capacity, just like what happened in the lab, and Pikachu still has voltage in spades. Watching this is kind of humbling. Everyone's like, okay, I knew Pikachu was powerful, but wow. Again, Pikachu's real skill is not that his special attack is so great, but that he can channel other power sources and dial it up 10,000. And after a bit of draining, Pikachu's like, hey, I feel better. And lucid, enough to realize who captured me and also put me in this mess in the first place. So he fights back against Team Rocket, whose machine has already taken all it can, and the robot lights up. May's bike also lights up. And Jessie gets her groove back, like, for all the internet makes fun of them for being obsessed with Pikachu, it's moments like this that proves Team Rocket is not wasting their time. Because you can find a powerful Pokemon with high base stats easily. Giovanni got bored one day and had some scientists build one. And a Pikachu, no matter how awesome it is, is just a Pikachu. There's probably a bunch of them who have, you know, slightly higher stats in one area or another. But the unholy might that Ash's Pikachu can rain down on you if you hook it up to magnets and water wheels and pedal-powered bike lights, when it lets itself get struck by lightning, when you merge it with some weird Groudon orb thing, when it gets hit point-blank by a legendary attack and decides to just absorb that static, that's special. You can do things with that. Giovanni could make world domination plans with that. That is the thing that Ash's Pikachu can do that a more rare, more powerful Pokemon can't. Mewtwo was created to be the world's most powerful Pokemon, but even he has a biological limit. You could potentially make Pikachu more powerful than Arceus if you found enough power sources and a way to hook them all up. So yeah, Jesse's back in the game. Just in time to go blasting off, but I think they'll be back. So much for a peaceful journey, Ash. This honeymoon is over. Well, after sending off Team Rocket, Pikachu passes out. And while that looks really concerning, when they get back to the lab, Joshua tells us that Pikachu's electricity has returned to normal levels. Thanks to that absorption machine, it was able to release the excess pressure and should be fine after a good night's sleep. Well, that's a relief. 
And now that we finally have downtime, May can introduce herself to Ash. Because I'm sure he's been wondering about this strange girl that just kind of popped up. Um, and once he hears that she's here to choose her first Pokemon, well, he is all smiles like, Pokemon, new Pokemon I've never seen, new starter Pokemon, you're going on a journey, you're going to meet your best friend. Would that May could be so excited. <laughs> it's seriously the best. May's all like, yeah, that one's creepy. That one wouldn't do a thing I said. And Ash is like, no, you're the best, Trico. How could this cute little Mudkip cause trouble? Like, she's just give Ash one of the Pokemon already. <laughs> well, finally, May meets Torchic, a cute little bird, very forward and affectionate. And she decides that this one isn't so bad. So May chooses Torchic, and now she's ready for her journey. Pokédex, Pokéballs. She's ready to be a Pokémon trainer, an even better one than her father. Which would be a great goal, except she totally doesn't care about training Pokémon. Now, she kind of falls into the same category as Serena, in that, why are you taking on a starter and signing away this Pokémon's future when you don't even want to do it? Like, that's not fair. Like, it's one thing to be unsure about your direction as a Pokemon trainer, like not know exactly what you want to do or feel a little insecure going forward. Like, it's another thing to use another creature's hopes and dreams as an excuse to do something else. Like, Serena basically just took a Pokemon so she could go meet Ash again. And May is pretty much using Pokemon training as an excuse to go traveling. Like, this Pokemon is letting you control its life. You decide when it eats, when it, like, gets to play, when it comes out of its Pokeball. Like, that's a lot of trust that the Pokemon is placing in their trainers. It deserves to be considered as more than a prop or an accessory. I mean, we all know May and Torchic work out in the end. And it does seem that May is willing to make a bit of effort to get to know Torchic and possibly even at least go through the motions of Pokemon training. But I still think we should call her out on this a bit. The only thing preventing May from just leaving on her trip around the world is the fact that her bike doesn't work. After Pikachu finished with it, well, it's, it's kind of toast. So she wants to have a talk with Ash, uh, but when she sees him sleeping by Pikachu's bedside, having exhausted himself taking care of Pikachu all night and muttering Pikachu's name in his sleep... She decides, you know, those two have had a pretty rough time of it. They've been through enough without her griping about compensation for her bike, and really, it's just a bike. Would she hold that up and compare it to what Ash almost lost? Nah, she lets it go. But she's not going to tell Ash that, because she can use this to get a little leverage out of him once Pikachu's up and about again. Like... Oh, I don't have a bike, thanks to you. I'll have to travel alone and on foot. I wish someone would come traveling with me. Little does she know, Ash has spent the last few years with the shadow of bike debt hanging over his head. Nothing fills him with more fear. He will do anything she wants to get her to drop that. Uh, so this ends up working out great for both of them. May and Ash are going to head on to Oldale Town together and register for the Pokemon League. And so it begins. A brand new journey, brand new everything. Getting to know May, Ash kind of stepping up into a new phase of his life. So much Pika shipping. Also, new beginning and ending themes like Soko ni Sora ga Arukara. Like, that song's amazing, okay? 
all of the feels. So yeah, this begins our journey through Hoenn. It's just delightful remembering how new and shiny everything was. It's really fun. Like, some emotional things go down this season, like, very impactful. But at the same time, there's this joy and this crazy chaotic whimsy. Like, like I think I've compared it to Kanto in that where Kanto was kind of this crazy anarchy, Hoenn kind of has that same spirit, but it's more of a controlled chaos. And I really do love it. Hoenn just makes me happy, and sometimes makes things hurt, which ultimately does make me happy, so... It can't be my favorite if it's not crushing my spirit. Anyway, if you want to stay tuned as we go through more and more of the Hoenn episodes, you can visit us on iTunes at Peacappy Podcast. We're on Facebook and Twitter, again, at Peacappy Podcast. Visit our blog page, peacappypodcast.blogspot.com. Or if you want, you can send an email to pcappypodcast at gmail.com. We'll leave it there for now, but thank you so much for listening. This has been Pcappy Podcast. Gotta catch them all. Dream of happiness, happiness.